welcome to Rethink, the podcast that explores the people and products shaping innovation and those designing for resilience, hosted by Philip Beer. Hello and welcome. Today's guest is Lisa Gray from Gray Organsky. Her architectural firm focuses on projects that are mission-driven with an emphasis on the environment and management of natural resources. Most recently, they are exploring ways to jumpstart rural communities through design. Today, we are talking their ELM project, or the Ecological Living Module. Before getting started, Lisa, welcome. It is great to have you here. Can you please share with those listening a little bit more about your architectural firm and your background? Uh, well, Gray Organsky Architecture is a design and construction practice in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, that my husband and partner, Alan Organsky, and I um, run with a lot of talented people in the building, um, and that we've been... Um, uh, that we've it's been we've been working on projects for um, a, a bit over two decades now, um, and we um, are a practice that has kind of purposefully taken on a wide range of design challenges. Um, we're interested in housing and houses and residential uh, space and experience, and we're also interested in um, kind of small scale, especially mission driven um, institutional clients. Um, and we've been fortunate to work with some some wonderful ones where um, with with institutions where they're looking for a, a kind of architecture that's going to embody their mission and especially an environmental mission. Um, you know, we're we, we've been uh, very fortunate to work on a bunch of uh, bridge projects and kind of landscape infrastructure. We're extremely interested in, in concepts of um, prefabrication and kind of. Uh, limiting on-site time, um, and and that work sort of started as uh, an awareness of uh, limiting damage to uh, uh, ecologically sensitive sites, um, but also then became an idea about how to accomplish buildings of higher quality, built off-site and installed more quickly at lower cost. Um, so it's an experimental practice. Uh, we have a we have a whole side of our activity that is devoted to investigating the ways in which building and mass timber at scale uh, can answer the the needs of our growing cities um, over these next decades, um, and also can be a carbon sink um, where the city could be considered a carbon sink instead of a source, so that we might be building in wood. Um, and uh, sequestering carbon, and at the same time, uh, helping to jumpstart uh, rural economies, which is another thing that we're quite aware of here in New England. Um, so it's it's a pretty omnivorous practice. We have a, a, um, lots of different design um, types, pr project types, and they all sort of feed each other. But it's with this um, maybe overview of environmental consciousness, uh, awareness of um, management of resources and attempting throughout to hang on to goals of an experientially um, convivial architecture. And Lisa, for the ecological living module, can you tell us more about that project? Yes. Uh, the e ecological living module was um, a demonstration project 
that uh, our office, Gray Organsky Architecture, undertook with the Center for uh, Ecosystems in Architecture at Yale, where my partner, Alan Organsky, is on the faculty and I teach occasionally. Um, and what happened was the United Nations came, uh, contacted uh, us and Yale to ask whether we together might uh, come up with um, a small building, a small, a small housing unit. Um, you could use the word micro house or small living. There's different ways to say that, but um, a little building that would demonstrate principles of environmental and sustainable development to coincide with their um, uh, large conference on sustainable development globally that took place in the summer of 2018 uh, at the United Nations in New York. Um, and it was it was um, UN Environmental Program's idea that in addition to having three, their 3,000 folks from across the globe kind of convene at the UN to talk about all different aspects of uh, achieving sustainable goals that the UN has set out, that in addition to these you know set of conferences that are taking place inside the building, um, that it it would be great if there could be some actual physical artifact that would uh, serve as a demonstration of these principles um, in the built environment. So um, they contacted us uh, and we sort of all, Gray Organsky and CEA, which is the um, uh, Center for Ecosystems and Architecture at Yale, began working together very shortly before we were, we were meant to deliver this object onto the UN Plaza. And from the beginning, um, we knew that um, it was a prototype um, and it was gonna bring to bear a lot of concerns and approaches that our office has been developing in our architectural practice and construction management construction practice you know, over the 20 years of our practice. And that um, it was a great opportunity to collaborate with C, who are a group of essentially environmental engineers um, at Yale, uh, who are engaged um, per perhaps in a more academic way in developing kind of next generation systems um, for different kinds of building systems. Um, you know, we sort of like jumped into the collaboration and there were so, so many parameters and also so many goals. Um, and the goals, I guess, first were, you know, how could we come up with a, 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 um, a small house, a, you know, a, 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 a building that would be a place that could house, you know, a group of four people was, you know, we sort of focused on the notion of a family of four, it could be extended family or, or, or not even a family, but for, that could sleep four people um, that was, is prefabricatable, transportable, um, and that could generate its own energy um, and also be um, a mechanism or a place for um, food um, generation, food growth, uh, rainwater harvesting, um, but also be a kind of uh, exemplar or example of principles of um, ecological construction. And so when we talked about that notion of what, you know, what constitutes kind of an e uh, ecologically conscious construction model, you have to think about local ideas. So you have to think about materials that are locally sourced um, and don't travel too far. And so we knew from the beginning that even though this was a kind of like a, a global platform in a way, <laughs> a chance to sort of think about these ideas with, with people who were going to be coming from across the world, that in fact, the project that we were being asked to implement last summer um, was something taking place 
in New York City at that latitude uh, in the, you know, essentially in the, in the northeast of the United States. And so the object that we ended up designing is, is uh, made of materials that are uh, easy to get near New York City, so basically from the forests of New England, um, and that performs environmentally for that, those um, climatic conditions. Um, and we had an idea that th this notion of sort of designing for your local condition, but with principles of um, uh, space and light, and as I said, energy generation um, in mind, that, that one might design an ELM, ecological living module, for lots of different locations, and it wouldn't look the same, but it would still carry with it these same principles of an approach to small building. And is the module being used currently? The module's in storage um, at Yale, and we're hoping to display it uh, actually in New Haven in the spring. And as I said, it was a prototype. So the concept of it is that um, if we if we were to kind of scale up, we were we were looking for for a design approach that would allow us to scale up um, to a larger scale, you know, kind of pr production approach. And um, so it it wasn't really. I mean, we didn't have in mind that this particular prototype would necessarily be inhabited, although we've had a lot of interest in it. And, you know, I think we have to decide after it's displayed in New Haven um, next year, whether we actually sort of give it to someone and someone starts living in it. But it was it was very much an idea about um, I, I mean, it was it was a it's a one off that was the sort of I, the way I would think of it is the, the, the first iteration of a, a um of a design and construction approach that um, needs refinement, um, but that still has within its DNA a lot of ideas that um, we think are replicable and applicable to um, you know, housing need, basically, to the and to, and to um, questions of density and, and questions of resource management and um, energy capture and all of those kinds of things. So, so nobody's living in it right now. When talking about the U.S. housing market, what is unique about this prototype that's disruptive to the way that homes are currently being built in the U.S.? Um, I, you know, a lot of people have experimented with the concept of prefabrication in the United States and elsewhere, um, and it's it's a tricky it's tricky to get that off the ground. And so we, what we thought about, I think, for a number of reasons. I mean, one one obvious reason is that sites are very different, um, and climates are very different across the United States. So what we thought about, and and we're not, you know, I don't want to be sort of trying to say that we're the we're the only group that's thinking about this, but there was an opportunity to think about how how would one develop a design that's for really kind of almost radically small living um, that could be comfortable. Um, and safe and quite affordable and shippable um, and could be installed kind of carrying within it all of the systems that it needs. So um, it's a, if you've, if you've seen it, what it is, it's, a, it's essentially a kind of um, eight and a half feet by 22 feet by uh, um, eight and a half feet tall box that can ship on the back of a flatbed um, and that hinges on um, one of its short ends to raise its roof to create a kind of a loft space. So very important to us was um, daylight. And so, you know, when you think about these kind of um, tiny home buildings, uh, of course, it's important that they function well, but it's, it's also very important that they feel uh, 
great and that they feel have a kind of spaciousness that maybe goes beyond their size um, experientially. And so uh, that's what we were sort of seeking to do with the design of this. Now, um, we also got involved in uh, imagining how this elm might um, aggregate across a site um, so that they're, you know, we began to consider them as neighborhoods. Um, and we actually have had a lot of interest less from inside the United States, but from some different places around the globe, um, of people who are sort of trying to think about density, um, but, but individual homes, um, that can be sort of located quite close to each other, but are organized for privacy. Um, and, uh, where the elm could be sort of dispersed across, um, a site, uh, and house quite a lot of people. The other thing about the, the project is, you know, this ecological living module, and as I said, you know, we imagine that if you were designing them for uh, different locations, you would be using different kinds of materials but uh, that are locally sourced. But this one was um, fabricated from cross-laminated timber, which was sourced essentially from uh, northern New England, little, and a little bit of it came from Quebec, but kind of in sh shippable distance and prefabricatable. Um, and it was prefabricated in our workshop in New Haven. Um, and so it's it's a demonstration of the use of this um, material, which is carbon sequestering, um, and which we are very involved in our practice, and, and others are too, uh, at looking at how we might use cross-laminated timber and other mass timber systems um, at scale to sort of uh, address the, uh, the um, demographic changes that are coming, which are gonna see our cities tripling in size, um, you know, in the next 40 years. Um, and uh, with this very kind of lightweight material, which, which one can prefabricate and, um, which, which in New England or other places where you have forest resources in the United States um, is, um, is a great use of a local material. Um, the other thing to say about the Elm is it's a standalone little building, but we've experimented with the notion of these small buildings as dropped onto um, existing 19th century and 20th century um, buildings. So, so, it's, so putting wood uh, structure on top of a masonry, especially an unreinforced masonry, uh, building, which is essentially what a lot of New England cities are, uh, were made of, um, is another way to sort of add density to cities. So that's not exactly what the elm was, although it we it it could be. Um, you could think of it as not just sitting on the UN Plaza, which of course is a site that you know is extraordinary and and a one-off, but it can it could sit on top of uh, buildings, and so you could imagine kind of a, a a population of elms set across an existing city to um, increase its density. What is the cost to construct? Uh, well, we're not entirely sure about of the answer to that because it's a kind of economy of scale question. Uh, we think that the prototype cost about a hundred thousand dollars. It might be a little bit less than that. Um, and so, you know, if, if you consider the notion that these these elements are all very prefabricatable, um, and it's it's really just sort of uh, large scale panels that one that one fabricates um, from cross laminated timber. Um, and the actually the the building systems are are very, very simple. So um, there's rainwater capture on a um, on a on the roof. There's existing photovoltaic 
um, technology and the, and that's all that's as we know coming down radically in price. Um, there is a kind of next generation um, solar capture that uh, actually can act in concert with a skylight, but that's still at the prototype stage. And so I'm, we're not really sure, for instance, of the cost of that. But the rest of the building is really made of wood, um, and and it, we're, it uses simple battery storage for its own onsite um, energy generation. So we could, you know, we would like to see the the cost of a series of elms, you know, let's say a hundred of them or more, you know, sort of coming down in the under fifty thousand dollar range. But you can't measure, you can't really take the cost of a, of a single first iteration prototype and say that that's the cost of, you know, a, a multiple of them. Are there moments when you're either traveling or when you're watching the news and when you're sitting with a, a group from your team and you say, boy, that's a perfect example of when we could be using the Elm? Um. Yes. I mean, one of the things that was interesting about the project and, and, you know, we got a lot of information from the folks who saw it because it was seen by so many different people was there's a great deal of interest um, from what I would. So if you think of different populations who who are having who are not receiving proper housing or having trouble entering the housing market, there's there's several different kinds of populations. Um, and one of the populations is sort of young people who in cities in the United States can't, cannot afford to enter the housing market, not just the United States, across, across the, the developed world. So what was a kind of an eye-opener to us was that um, the Elm was, uh, seemed very enticing to, um, to people who were trying to provide a kind of entry-level housing um, to, I don't know if the word should be millennials, but sort of, you know, sort of um, 30, 20 to 30 year olds who are wanting to kind of enter the housing market, but can't because the ha housing and development and real estate costs are so high. So the notion that this Elm could be aggregated um, in neighborhoods um, and provide a kind of entry level housing uh, for folks seemed pretty interesting to us. Um, the other thing about it is because it's, because it's prefabricated um, and it can be, actually can be dropped in, in a, with a crane. I will say as an aside that one of the things that made our project a lot more complicated was that we installed it on the UN Plaza, which is probably about the most, one of the most secure places in the world. So it was very complicated to get in and out of there. But in addition, you're not allowed to use a crane there. So, so some of the benefits of its prefabric of the building's prefabrication were not able to be realized for this prototype because of the lack of a crane. But nevertheless, it's a, it's a small little object that can be dropped into place in a crane with a crane. And so you think of it being applied like in places where um, uh, residential zoning is, is, is being, um, places are being upzoned and um, uh, single family zoning is being challenged or changed and density is being encouraged in cities and backlots suddenly become developable. Um, and that you could imagine like a whole series of these small buildings being put into lots that are non-conforming in all kinds of cities uh, because it's so small, because it can be dropped in and installed so quickly. Even in the most perfectly planned projects, you get to the end and there's some lessons learned. What was yeah. learned from this project? Hmm. Uh, give yourselves more than 10 weeks for design and construction. 
it was very quick. Um, you know, I sort of say that facetiously. Uh, I, I guess I want to say we, we don't look at the project and think this is it, build it, go to press, let's let's make a thousand or ten thousand of them. Uh, it, it, can, it contains sort of every aspect of um, being off the grid and being self-sustaining and standalone. And I think what what I learned about it is that that when when, when one thinks about prefabricating and affordable uh, ha- finding a, a way into the to the problem of affordable achievable housing for people, that it's not necessary to include every single element that one can think of for for standing alone off the grid. It might be enough to do rainwater capture if you're hooked into let's say. Um, a, a network uh, power generating system, you know, for a whole neighborhood, or um, it may not be necessary to grow food on the side of the building because that might be accomplished, um, you know, co- collaboratively uh, in a neighborhood way. So I, I guess I would say that we we sort of loaded up the the design and the construction with with all these different elements as a way of demonstrating their viability to I guess our audience at the UN, um, but. Yeah, I think I think I that we we would say that there's a sort of a la carte menu of these different elements that one should be considering in the design of small housing, but that not all are are necessary um, for its success. And before we say farewell, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with those listening? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that in a way, one of the one of the I guess and even in answer to your early question, what did we learn from the Elm? You know, I think we should all be asking ourselves kind of how much space we need in order to live comfortably, in order to have an acceptable amount of privacy, but also maybe live in community um, with others because we know that, you know, in addition to many many things we're facing globally, loneliness is, um, you know, kind of a critical mental health problem. So, so So the project kind of, brought up the, these notions of, of really changing the way that people understand what, what you need in order to, you know, what housing ne- needs to provide um, in order to make a, a, a comfortable, um, uh, supportive, convivial environment while, while pulling many, many fewer resources from the globe. So I guess that would be a thing for folks to think about when they consider the ELM or other projects like it. You know, what's what's really, really what's necessary as we go forward into a future of real scarcity um, and a requirement for kind of radical thinking about resource management and sharing. Um, and if we all could think a little bit differently about what, what we require, it may be helpful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rethink. Find a complete library of past episodes at iTunes or wherever you're listening to this.